In Plain Sight, your Wednesday night broadcast, Spiritual Health and Wellness Edition on Republic Broadcasting Network. You know what to do. You know what to smash. That donate button, smash it with uh, unadulterated fury. And please send bondage to RBN because we need it now more than ever. Uh, the station has been out a major expense. It was like two grand. Flashback to Mike's text here. Uh, yeah, it was almost two grand. It was something that happens every six months. Uh, and there's very little money in the coffers. So uh, there's not really even enough to pay some of the staff. So we've got a lot of stuff going on that you could donate. You could get it on the book drive for a hundred bucks. And uh, that is One Nation Under Israel by Andrew Hurley. I think that title just says it all. In spite of recent events, especially. Um, also, for 250 you can get in on the book drive and uh, get a rebel madman quilt with a giant rebel flag. Uh, it's basically a rebel flag that's a quilt. And in the picture, you know, on RBN's homepage, there's a cute little doggy there on the, on the quilt. You don't get the doggy. Uh, sorry. But I don't know. I mean, maybe call Mike and work something out. But give us a call. Donate. Um, you guys, my listeners are the best. You all helped me out a lot when my transmission went out back in October and uh, to the tune of about a thousand bucks. So, um, and last year you guys helped me out. So I'm not asking anything for me now, strictly to the station because I wouldn't be broadcasting and neither would all of our other excellent broadcasters. If we don't have this station, then all you're going to be left with is Alex Jones. And, and you don't want that, do you? So please get the money in there, uh, donate anything you can, a dollar, five dollars, or uh, definitely get in on uh, the the book drive and the quilt drive. And also, if you just maybe have fifty bucks, call Micah. Maybe he can send you uh, some promotional items so you can get something uh, for your money along with excellent broadcasts. I have joining me tonight a very special guest. He's been on the show before on Wednesdays, Chris Hinkley from. The Road Warrior show, uh, 10 a.m. Central on RBN, Monday through Friday. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. Appreciate I it. I want to really, really focus on the spiritual tonight. Um, and specifically, and we got a sermon clip. Maybe Mike can forgive us the first break, uh, and, and we'll continue to shill all throughout uh, we, you know, the, the show. Because I've got a feeling we're going to need the full you know, the full time before the, the half hour break. But the, t- the topic is uh, perseverance, and it's in the context of Calvinism. But you don't have to be a Calvinist to believe uh, in perseverance of the saints. Uh, Romans eight twenty eight through 30 uh, pretty much outlines this. The order of salvation justified, sanctified, and glorified. You know, so justification being what happens when you're quickened when you're renewed the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. And that's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So that's instant. You're you're a new creature. You're saved. Uh, but then sanctification is the process that they're referring to when they say perseverance. And this is where the Lord, uh, through the Holy Spirit, cleans up your life of sin. And uh, a believer should show evidence of this. Uh, I think it's the point that this speaker is going to make. And then glorification would be the new body uh, upon your death uh, as a Christian, and you receive at the resurrection a new body 
which will be sinless. So that's the process of salvation that the speaker is going to talk about. So if you hear the word ordo salutis, these guys, these reform guys really love Latin. Uh, it just simply means the order of salvation. So you'll, you'll, you'll hear that. So don't get confused. That's for the listeners. I'm sure you're familiar. Chris, do you have some comments on what I just said before we hit that clip? Uh, I was wondering how many Confederate battle flags you have. I have one in my room, uh, <laughs> and I have an Irish flag to celebrate my Irish ethnic heritage. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I, I want to dive in, so I don't want to hold things up. Let's let's do it. It's about a 12-minute clip, 12 minutes and 14 seconds. If you want to roll that mic, it's an excellent sermon by a young pastor in Tennessee named Kenneth. So, uh We're going to continue tonight with our study of redemption accomplished and applied. And as you see here on the list, uh, the Ordo Salutis, um, we now come to perseverance. So we're at the second to last, the penultimate study in in this series. Murray does have a chapter in the book on our union with Christ, and perhaps I should, but I don't think I will do a lesson uh, devoted to that, but uh, I plan to uh, cover perseverance this evening, and then the next time we'll finish our study with glorification and just look at the, the specific acts in the Ordo Salutis, mainly because I, I think that uh, from the beginning of this series and really in every session, we have talked about the, the vital union that, that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you know that all of these things flow out from the union that we have with Him, which was wrought about by the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, as we work our way through the Ordo Salutis, uh, God has taught us a lot about what He has done to accomplish and apply our salvation. And we've seen the complete and full atonement secured by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that back when we were studying redemption accomplished. Um, and and we saw that the Lord Jesus did not make a partial atonement, nor did He save us from some of our sins. Uh, he didn't get, get something started and then leave it, the rest for us to do, but He made a complete work there upon the cross. And now we've been studying for a number of weeks the personal work of the Holy Spirit who makes us to partake of the benefits of Christ's salvation. Remember when we started Redemption Applied, I asked the the big question, how does the work of Jesus Christ accomplished 2,000 years ago come to personally affect you in this day and age, right? And so we saw how the Holy Spirit through Effectual calling and regeneration and conversion, faith and repentance, justification, adoption, sanctification, how he has done all of these things so that we can come to be active partakers of the work of Christ. And we've been made to marvel at the beautiful scheme of redemption that God himself has both designed and executed. Well, now as we come to the subject of perseverance, we will see that a great salvation such as our God has provided, does us no good if it can ever be lost, forfeited, or taken away. I'll say that again. When we come to the subject of perseverance, we will see that a great salvation, such as our God has provided, does us no good if it can ever be lost, forfeited, 
or taken away. Perseverance in the Ordo Salutis, then, is an act that concerns the keeping power of God to secure us in our union with Christ, through which we receive all the benefits of redemption. God keeps us in union with Christ. And the doctrine of perseverance is God's blessed promise to the believer that the same grace that saved him will be the grace that keeps him saved. Perseverance, then, is the act in the Ordo that ensures the fulfillment and the culmination of all the others. Well, for various reasons, there is confusion and even some rejection of the doctrine of perseverance. Sometimes perseverance is overly simplified to a mere pledge that if you made a decision for Christ at some point in your life, then you'll go to heaven when you die no matter what. Right? And that's how many believe perseverance to work. But there's a lot more to that uh, when it comes to the doctrine of perseverance. A lot more than that. Well, sometimes perseverance is presented as a contribution that we must make to maintain our salvation. As if perseverance is our work. And God saves us, but we are the ones who must do the work of persevering. Well, this leaves us with no peace in the Christian life. This leaves us always wondering if we've done enough to persevere. (coughs) Well, sometimes perseverance appears to be contradicted by portions of Scripture that seem to teach at face value that believers can and do fall away from Christ and lose their salvation. Uh, We'll come back to these and look at them, but let me just read a couple of them for you. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. The Bible says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. Doesn't that teach that Christians can lose their salvation? Or what about John 15, verses 1-2? through I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. See? Plain, right? Losing your salvation. Well, that's what some believe. And so they deny the doctrine of perseverance because of some of those texts. And we'll look at some of those texts later on. Well, something as important as the security of our eternal salvation at stake. It is imperative that we biblically articulate and affirm the doctrine of perseverance. And there's a, a few ways that this study could be approached, a number of ways this study could be approached, but one helpful way to consider perseverance, and it's the way Murray does it in his book, is to consider perseverance as standing in contradiction to two fatal errors. So we're going to look at perseverance, the biblical doctrine of perseverance, in contradiction to two fatal errors I'll give you the errors, and I'll define them, and we'll talk about them. But the first error is the antinomian error. Antinomian error of 
presumption or license. Now, the word antinomian comes from two words, anti and nomos. Nomos is the Greek word for law. So antinomian equals uh, lawless or against law. Lawless or against law. And an antinomian is someone who lives their life with no regard for the law of God. Uh, the antinomian error is, is one of the, the uh, errors that, that we must stand perseverance in stark contrast towards. Well, the second error is the Arminian error. And the Arminian, uh, the Arminian error is an error that teaches a falling from grace, a falling away. So there are two errors on opposite ends of the spectrum. Falling away or losing salvation. And we'll look at these now for the remainder of our time. Another way that we could state this outline is, is what perseverance isn't and what perseverance is. So this kind of highlights what perseverance isn't, and this kind of highlights what perseverance is. Okay? Um, let's look first at the, the antinomian error, and let's look at what perseverance is not. Okay? Perseverance, as Murray so eloquently points out, is not the perseverance of everyone who makes a profession of faith. <coughs> Sometimes the doctrine of perseverance, and I know you've all heard this term, sometimes the doctrine of perseverance is unfortunately labeled as the doctrine of once saved, always saved. Now, why do I say that's an unfortunate label? Well, the terminology is problematic because of what it implies. The implication of once saved, always saved is that if you, at one point in your life, made a decision for Christ Pray to prayer, ask Jesus into your heart, then you are saved in that moment, and no matter what you do from then on now, or how you live your life, you will certainly go to heaven because once saved, always saved. The, the, the subtle implication of once saved, always saved is that it, it, it all depends on this one decision you made sometime, maybe 25 years ago at Vacation Bible School, you gave your life to Jesus at summer camp, and you've gone on to live like hell for the rest of your life, but once saved, always saved. So if that decision was sincere, if you really made that decision 25 years ago, nothing else matters in the Christian life, once saved, always saved. Well, that's not perseverance. By definition, the problem with this kind of perseverance is that it allows for an incipient antinomianism, which teaches that someone can be truly saved while living with no regard for the law of God and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to be clear, we do affirm the security of the believer. So we do believe that if God really did save you 25 years ago at summer camp, Yes, you, you are saved and you will always be saved. We believe that. But we believe that if he really did save you 25 years ago at summer camp, there's going to be a perseverance that characterizes your life from then on out. I, I like how, I think it was Paul Washer who says, I don't believe in once saved, always saved. I believe in if saved, always saved. <laughs> if you're really saved, you're really saved. So we believe in the security 
of the believer, and we emphatically deny any doctrine which teaches that the Christian maintains his salvation by his good works. So don't hear me saying that I believe that, well, you, you know, you're saved by faith in Christ, but then in order to persevere, you must maintain your salvation through your good works. That is not what I'm saying at all. Here's what we don't believe in. We don't believe in a security of the believer that is irrespective of holiness in the believer's life. I want you to think of perseverance as something that has to do not just with what happens to you when you die, but as a work that is already taking place in your life right now. If you're a Christian, you are persevering right now. Well, well, persevering in what? That's the question, right? Persevering in what? Well, persevering in the Christian life. You're not living like an unbeliever. You're not living in sin. You're not living in worldliness. You're not living in the sins that you say Jesus has saved you from. Okay, that's the clip. Um, Contrasting Calvinism versus Arminianism and... uh, just a really quick definition. So Jacob Arminius put out five points, the Armenian pillars, and it basically says that election is based on the believer's choice, that God looked into the future, uh, and that since the believer could choose to be saved, they can also choose to apostate. Um, and so that's uh, so then the, the followers of John Calvin um, at the Council of Dort, came up with actually seven points of Calvinism. Originally, it got refined down to five, and these points will refute um, Jacob Arminius's teaching. Um, and the fifth point is perseverance of the saints, and that's the, the topic that we're on tonight. And before I kick it to you, Chris, this guy is a Calvinist. He's a Reformed Baptist. And I've ran into this a lot in the last 12 to 15 years of uh, Baptist preachers specifically in this area, uh, adopting Calvinism, but it's not the Calvinism of their grandfathers or great-grandfathers. It's not the baby-baptizing Presbyterians, so they're very careful to uh, distinguish themselves from that. Um, It's the basic Baptist doctrine, but it's just Reformed, um, just like the name implies. And I, I can't disagree with anything that the speaker said, even though I don't consider myself a Calvinist. Uh, I don't like to label myself but really what it comes down to, um, if, if, if you want to comment on just Calvinism overall, either God looked into the future and saw what choice we would make as believers, or God chose us as the elect. So it's either God chooses or man chooses. And as I've studied this, that's the ones and zeros. That's the logic that I've come up with. Um, and I have to say, I think that God chooses. Um, I don't think that the entirety of your salvation is based on something that you do. So, uh, again, I don't label myself as a Calvinist. Let me kick it to you. I, I value your comments on this. So we're skipping the break, right? This first break, is that what we're doing? Yeah, if we can, Mike. Yeah, I think we are. We're, we're right there if we're doing that. Yeah, we're, we're 21 in. Go ahead and take it. Okay. Um, I mean, this is... Man, I mean, you can you can go off in so many different directions. Um, and as you're as you're talking, before I mention the break, I mean, I got a dozen different Bible verses going through my mind. Um, 
Um, John six forty four. Um, no, in the NASB ninety five, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Um, there's Ephesians uh, two eight through ten. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. It's always that. It's always, if anyone boasts, let him boast in Christ. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Um, it's, <clears throat> you know, my my thing, I, I usually joke because, you know, I say, for example, Calvin wasn't a Calvinist. I think... One of the best um, little side conversations really is, I think, could be a primary conversation. John Taylor Gatto mentioned in the Ultimate History Lesson interview with Richard Grove uh, about 10 years ago. And in that interview, um, excuse me. Gatto mentions Calvin a couple of times, two or three times, I think hour two, hour three, and hour five. But he talks about the concept of justified sinning. And I think, you know, the more that I go down the rabbit hole, the more that I realize 1 John 5.19 is more literal than most of us come up believing. (coughs) Beloved, we know that we are of God and the whole world is in the power of the evil one. And that's not an understatement. Or, or I mean that, 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 you know, you could argue that's an understatement. Um, and what I mean by that is the, as I've gone down the rabbit hole in recent years with the, the Anglican crowd, the um, Church of England crowd, um, basically – you put that together with like Manly P. Hall's Secret Destiny of America and all these Masonic guys that have written stuff like Clymer and A.E. Waite and um, Mackey and all these guys that basically um, Manly Hall was reading. And you get that this group that came from Genesis 11, essentially this incubatory group. Um, the plans to redo Genesis 11 have always been hidden in these esoteric groups. And the fraternal orders are represented, I think, in Genesis 11 very plainly. And then when you get to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, after the birth of the church, these guys basically, I mean, like they all say, and Manly P. Hall says in his paraphrasing of them, they hid their secret group in the church basically and you know they hid the wolf among the flock and coming forward especially over the last 500 years you can find them there and without getting into the details of exactly who and what you know i think this idea of justified sinning is a sort of pre-darwinian concept that reinforces a Malthusian mindset. And it was, uh, you know, the whole point of saying all of that is that it was never really intended for the laity. 
And so there's that kind of thing. That's a whole thing all by itself. But beyond that, I would say for me, especially recently, I've been focusing on this idea that, you know, it, it's the meta or the contextual question, who's in charge, who decides? And, you know, is it me deciding? Is it God deciding? Well, you know, again, um, you know, John six forty four. no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And, but then you start getting into like Romans 9 territory where Paul's explaining and, um, He says, I'm going there. You know, he says, so then he has mercy on whom he desires. This is verses 18 through um, 21, I guess. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to him then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who said, who answers back to God? Because, you know, he's talking about, you know, he hardens this person, Jacob, I loved, Esau, I hated. And so people say, well, then, you know, um, the thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Will it or does not the potter have? a right over the clay to make from one from the same lump one vessel of, for honorable use and another for common or dishonorable use. And so he's the one who decides. He's the one, he, I mean, he's the one who's sovereign, ultimately. He's our maker. He's the one who chooses. Um, and it's a complicated thing. You know, as far as uh, if saved, always saved, that's interesting. What about the prodigal son? He was a son. And, you know, he comes back and his father's running out to greet him. Anyway, I don't know if I muddied the water. I haven't clearly stated anything, but those are some of my preliminary thoughts, I guess. Yeah, who decides indeed? And I've found that the truth always lies in the nuance in between when we're created in the image of God. That's that's major, and I'm still researching on what exactly that means because we share a lot with the angels, but they yeah. cannot be justified. Um, I think there is this responsibility of man to, to believe in faith, but simply coming to an agreement of the facts, like the speaker was talking about, oh, I, I accepted Jesus at summer camp 20 years ago. Just coming to an agreement of the facts is not enough. It has to be a an act of the Holy Spirit. I've witnessed this. I'll give a quick anecdote. Um, I, I helped start a church in Owensboro, Kentucky, and we went door to door. And I, we had like 50 people, you know, in the, in the time of three months that agreed to the facts of salvation by grace through faith, no works. And we went back and revisited because none of them were coming to church and they couldn't even give us the right facts. So they were telling us what we wanted to hear. They were intelligent enough to figure out what we wanted to hear, and they didn't experience a true salvation. Because, you know, you can judge people by their life, sure, um, by their perseverance. But that's one thing. But if they can't even give you the basic facts of the gospel, then, of course, they're not born again. Um, they just agreed to a set of facts at that time. Uh, so we're already up on the first break. So. Maul that over. We'll be back on the other side with more spiritual health and wellness. 
handle the truth. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Real news, real talk, real people. Because you can handle the truth. My name is John, I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee, and I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, and trying so many different coffees that were so good, and uh, every time I came back uh, to the U.S., I was so disappointed with the coffee, so I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee. It's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumer's house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee, you have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get, and you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10. People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read one. This product has been a godsend for my father, who suffered from a heart attack about two years ago. He was prescribed medications for his condition, which was so serious he almost died but he hasn't been able to afford most of the medications. After researching alternatives that were more affordable, he tried Extendivite. Since taking it, he has consistently lower blood pressure and experiences less angina. We are currently on our fifth bottle. I enthusiastically recommend this product, and I am grateful that it is available. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit Extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendovite. Hello, hello, hello from beautiful Colorado. My name is Samuel Junkay, and I am currently the lead Shilajee hunter and master herbalist for Colorado Shilajee Company. In this video series, I will be discussing what we believe is the greatest of all adaptogenic superfoods and the single greatest natural healing remedy gifted to us by Mother Earth. I think you too will become as excited by this incredible substance called Shilajee as we were and are after our discovery of this amazing gift right here in beautiful, colorful Colorado. You may already know Shilaji by other names. Shilajit, Momio, Momi, Mami, Mineral Pitch, Asphaltum, and others. Shilaji literally translates to destroyer of weakness and conqueror of mountains. Shilaji has been in use for thousands of years and is considered as the highest valued cure-all of any earthly substance. Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N.
May the Lord have mercy on us on the road that we must travel. Please have mercy on RPN. You've got to get that fundage in, people. I want that donate button smashed multiple times. Like, smash it to the point that you can't discern it anymore. Um, and, and get that money in here. Um, seriously, we got to get these boys paid. I mean, these, these guys are working 12-hour shifts in class. So uh, that's what I'm worried about is getting paid, um, getting these, these RPN hosts paid. Doing with special host Chris Hinkley from Road Warrior Radio. We're going down the rabbit hole of Calvinism, perseverance of the saints. And Chris, let me let me try to clarify something. Um, and this is a compliment to you. I've got to have a Google ready and a dictionary and a thesaurus sometimes when you speak. Um, <laughs> that, that is a compliment to your intellect. Um, or, it sounds like are not. you maybe in, <laughs> are you maybe inferring that um, Calvinists where the Calvinist movement is, is part of this maybe esoteric infiltration, at least in their original form. Was that uh, what I'm No question. Um, so let me see if I can clarify a little bit maybe. Um, <clears throat> as a, if I may, do you mind if I do real quick? No, please, please go ahead. Clarification. So, speaking of the backstory that I mentioned previously, first, uh, you know, kind of a clarification of what I mean, and then an example of the stuff that I'm talking about that I I think fits now. You know, I don't think, you know, the way that I've always sort of thought of Calvinism and Armenianism as I investigate, like I said, I don't think Calvin was. Uh, Calvinist, and I don't think uh, Arminius was Arminian per se, and they each get some things wrong, they each get some things right, and it feels to me like if I if I just had to guess, I, I feel like the devil has taken uh, the truth, the whole truth, and split it apart and mixed each part with a lie. That's how they both feel to me. So, speaking of the backstory that I mentioned previously, most you know, most of this coming down the last 500 years, the tradition that's been handed down to me feels like a way to intellectualize and philosophize the things of God, which can only be properly known by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, which we read. I always joke on Road Warrior Radio and call it the secret decodering. If you're going to read the Bible, which everyone should start by, you know, you start with Jesus Christ, but, you know, once you've properly done that then you you invite the holy spirit into the reading because like first corinthians that's the the holy spirit is the secret decoder ring speaking euphemistically because like first corinthians 2 says um you know god god there are these things that he wants to give us <clears throat> now we receive not the spirit of the world the spirit who is from God so that we may know the things freely given to us by God which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom but in those taught by the spirit combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual with spiritual words I mentioned on today's Road Warrior radio broadcast how ironic it is that the uh, the Masons and the Gnostics worship Solomon but they don't acknowledge where he got the wisdom from and uh, so that's ironic, I think. Anyway, continuing, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, 
for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Uh, you know, and so Protestants applaud, right? For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So this is this is spiritual stuff. But, you know, getting back to um, the validation of my point, and I just learned this. Uh, I just discovered this today, actually. This is a new dot in the map from Albert Mackey's Encyclopedia of Freemasonry, Vised Edition, by Edward L. Hawkins and uh, William J. Huan, I think is that, Volume 2, M through Z, um, under the Samuel Wesley entry. This is what uh, this is what you read. At one time, the most distinguished organist of England and called by Mendelssohn the father of English organ playing. He was initiated as a Mason December 17, 1788, and in 1812, the office of uh, Grand Organist of the Grand Lodge of England being in that year first instituted, he received the appointment from the Grand Master, the Duke of Sussex. And held it until 1818. He composed the anthem performed at the union of the two Grand Lodges in 1813 and was the composer of many songs, etc., for use of the craft. He was the son of the Reverend Charles Wesley and nephew of the celebrated John Wesley, founder of Methodism. So, you know, that's one example of a thread that I think is... You know, closely related to the to the conversation. To the, to your point, ah, I'm, not, I'm muted. Real quick, to your point on who can know the mind of God. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm known as saying that I think that Calvinism tries to explain the mind of God, and it falls terribly short, as yeah. any human endeavor yeah. would. So while I, I agree with these Reformed pastors, and I, I think that they're trying to, uh, what's the word? They're trying to reform the Reformers. Yeah. Uh, you know, there is this, most people that are attracted to Calvinism are highly intellectual people, and they're not getting fed what they need to uh, from the regular sermons that they're hearing, uh, specifically the Baptist sermons, because that's mostly what I hear uh, in their local areas. And it's very attractive. Uh, and what I've noticed, one of my critiques of Calvinism's, uh, Calvinists and Reformers is they rely so much on these councils and Baptist confessions mm-hmm. uh, and, and these various books, um, you know, to prove their point. It's almost yeah. like you've got to jump through exegetical hoops mm-hmm. uh, to prove your point. And if you've got to do that, then maybe, maybe you need to step back and, and take a look at where you're at. Ecclesiastes yeah. twelve twelve. Uh, and further by these, my son, be admonished of making of many books. There is no mm-hmm. end, and much Amen. study is of the flesh. You could get lost. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> keep going, keep going, because he's the wisest guy who ever lived. What was the What was the conclusion? What did he say? It's all vanity. But what it's did he say vanity. at the end of that, though? Next verse. Oh, I just had the one verse pulled up. Quote it if you know it. I'm going to pull it up. Oh, man. We got to do the next verse. Here. I'm I'm there. Ready? 
Go do it. This is the wisest guy who ever lived. The conclusion, the next verse, verse 13, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. Next verse, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. That's the wisest guy who ever lived. Absolutely. Boom. And, I mean, this does play into what the speaker was talking about, which, I, like I said, I don't I listen to the whole sermon of the speaker. I don't disagree with anything. He's talking about perseverance, not just being a, a you know a sinner that's going to go to heaven no matter what, living in his sin. There's going to be evidences of his regeneration. I think that's the whole point that he was making in his sermon. Yeah. Well, but but again, again, I, I, that, that's my critique of the Calvinists is that they rely too much on extra biblical works mm-hmm. to prove their points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, soteriological wrangling uh you know again i think it's intellectualizing things that to me you know if we're kids for example we're kids we're talking about our dads or you know maybe we're kids we have the same dad that's a better analogy in this case um you know we're brothers living in the same house you know dad always says this like we have this bedtime routine or something you know every night we have to brush our teeth do this say our prayers go to bed and it's almost time and i know we're gonna have to do this and so you know dad says based on this and we got this all figured out but the you know dad knows things we don't know and so maybe grandma's coming over today and we're doing all this stuff and we're arguing about you know no it's this no it's that well dad knows grandma's coming over and so none of that applies. It's all different this time. And I think there are examples of that where, you know, one of my favorite examples is, you know, Malachi, um, I'm the Lord, I change not. Hebrews, um, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, yesterday, today and forever. And then in uh, the book of Jonah, God tells Jonah Go tell him, yeah, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And he's like, I don't like those guys. So, you know what? Good riddance. He ends up there. The book of Jonah says that Jonah made it a third, a, a day's journey through town. It says it was at least a three day journey. At best, he made it a third of the way through town. Yet, word gets out in town from the king on down, they repent. And 40 days comes and the town isn't, you know, did God, is he a liar? No, he's like any good parent who what he wants is repentance. And there was, you know, it was it was a sort of a stay of execution. Judgment came eventually. But I'm just saying there are moments where if we're going to try to fit it into some legalistic framework that we construct, he's God. He tells us that, you know, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And um so maybe, you know, maybe we can't always fit it in the box. Well, Job chapters one and two, I think, is a great biblical example of, mm-hmm. of you know, illustrating what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, Satan came before the Lord to tell yeah. Job. Satan yeah. could only do and only did what yeah. he was allowed, no more Amen. and no less. You mentioned that on your show. Amen. And I think the Calvinists get it right there. Mm-hmm. And this would explain the repentance of Nineveh. It was God's will that they repented. Jonah didn't know that. He was waiting on the 
under the little uh, plant to shield him from the sun. He was waiting to see fire come down. He was hoping to see fire come down. Yeah. Right. And he was just playing a part. I mean, we're all playing a part in this big mm-hmm. machine. Yeah. Uh, and to try to explain that, I think it's futile. I think we should strict, uh, rely strictly on the scriptures. One more example before Wait, I kick it back. Can I, can yeah. I comment on that Wait. real fast? Please. And what are his buddies doing for chapter after chapter? Come on, man. Oh, Come on. You're not you know, persevering, Job. Maybe maybe Jonah wasn't really saved. Or, I mean, excuse me, maybe Job wasn't really saved. I mean, Job, come on, man. Clearly you did something. You're sitting you're, in ashes, bro, scraping yeah. stuff off of you, and you yeah. lost thing. You're yeah. not persevering, my guy. No. <laughs> exactly what you said. And and so to try to explain this in human terms, you're not gonna you're not gonna get a solid using the Bible. So another yeah. example, real quick. You know, God is going to punish the Southern Kingdom for their idolatry and neglection of the land Sabbath. He's going to bring Nebuchadnezzar in, who is his anointed, a pagan king, is is anointed by God, and then he's going to punish Babylon for punishing Israel. That's the God that I serve. The one that's in control of both good and evil. I think yeah. that's a good biblical definition. But let yeah. me press you. Let, let me press you and put you on the spot, if you will, my, my esteemed guest. Who's in charge? Who decides? Either God elected us through his will, or he looked into the future and saw what we would do. That's really the only two that I can. Those are the only two choices. Do you know a third? Say Say that again now, please. So concerning the doctrine of election, and it is biblical, before the foundation of the earth, we were elected. Right. Either God chose us. And our good works, which is why I mentioned Ephesians 2, yeah. Either God chose us without any merit of our own or without any choice of our own, or he looked through the portals of time and saw the choice that we would make. Those are the only two choices that I can see. It's either a one or a zero. So... The, you know, it's rough. <laughs> I feel like the X factor is this whole time thing and God is outside of time and space thing. That whole conversation, I think, really sort of escapes, escapes our grasp. The best way I can uh, explain that or think of it, and I say this and I never get any, I've never had anybody go, yeah, that makes sense. So I don't know, maybe it's just me, but. The way that it makes sense to me is if you think about the movies in the theater, if everybody remembers what those are, just kidding. But, you know, back when we had movies on reels, not the digital stuff now, it plays on the theater wall. I would call that the present. You're in the theater. You don't know the movie. You're watching it. Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen next? It's unfolding in real time. It's the present. But the kid in the theater, Second Peter tells us, Second uh, Peter 3, you know, that for God, a day is a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. What does that mean? To me, it's like the kid in the projector room who can take the reel and spread the whole thing out on a table and look at every single frame from end to end at the same time. Or he can get a jeweler's loop and look at one frame for as long as he wants. That's kind of the best way I can contextualize that. And so obviously if you're God, you know – from before the foundation of the earth, you know, from before the first frame in that film, so to speak. And 
and I'm not trying to be contrary. I'm, I'm still at the point stands. <laughs> you know, somebody was in charge. Somebody decided when it concerns yeah. election, it was yeah. either man or God. And yeah. believe me, I've bashed my head on this wall for 12 years. 12 years yeah. ago, I, I you know, started this research because people very close to me are Calvinists. Mm-hmm. And also people very close to me hate Calvinists. And I try to be fair. I put sermons on here on these Wednesday nights from Stephen Anderson, who is definitely anti-Calvinist. And I, and then I also feature speakers like we had tonight, who is a Reformed Calvinist Baptist. You know, because I want to know the truth. And I want to, I want to you know, put forth all aspects of these different angles. And again, I think the answer is nuance and lays somewhere in the middle. It has to do with us being made in the image of God. There is some sort of a choice there, but at the end of the day, God decides He's in charge. Are we skipping lunch break too? If we can, I'm going to just start shilling. Listen, people, this is this is deep theological stuff. Yeah. You're not going to get this from Paul Washer. You're not going to get this from John MacArthur or even Stephen Anderson because I disagree with a lot of Stephen Anderson stuff. So yeah. you're only going to get RBN with me yeah. and Chris coming on the same show. Get the money in here. These boys need, and ladies need to be paid. Yeah. Last break is gone. Amen. Five dollars, fifty dollars. Get it. Get that quilt and the book. Don't just yeah. settle for the book. Two fifty. Come on. You got stepped up to the plate when I needed help with the transmission, and I, and the truck is rolling on. I'm working. Do the same for RBN. Come on. So don't be while we're thinking about that. And to, um, I had a I had a funny point. I forgot it. To you know, to sort of prime the pump on the how you know I was going to joke and say the last time I was on, I think you know you said how do you call out Jewish power, and I have talked about that a few times on Road Warrior Radio. I think the best answer I was going to joke and say I'll only give the answer if uh, you know. We get a few donations, but <laughs> shameless, shameless. But uh, it's, you know, I'll come back to that. One thing I did want to mention, if I may, was regarding the mention of uh, antinomianism. You know, for the Christian, again, see, I think so much of this stuff is intellectualizing things that you know, our focus is supposed to be heavenward on these matters. We're supposed to be, again, you know, consulting the Holy Spirit on these things, spiritual thoughts, spiritual words, those kinds of concepts, not the stuff earthly. Paul says, basically, you know, in his thorn in the flesh deal, I think that the that, that language basically is, you know, this, what we're doing now is profanity compared to that, essentially. So it's different. And so when it comes to anti-nomianism, uh, I think of what Paul says, you know, so so what? We're, you know, because part of this is legalism. I feel like there's a Judaizer conversation in here somewhere, arguably, but, um, you know, Galatians 2 territory kind of thing. But, um, you know, didn't we die with Christ to the law? And so... Like Paul says, I mean, what's the answer to that? And the answer for the Christian is, uh, like he says in Romans 7, 6, 
But now we have been released from the law, having died to that which, uh, by which we were bound, so that, what, so now we can live like hell? No. I mean, he goes through that in Romans 5 and 6, whatever, but so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not oldness of the letter. And just in simple terms, I mean, the spirit of the law doesn't leave room for loopholes. Right. Because if you're looking for loopholes, you're, you know, you're living on by the law. Probably you, not. You you're mi- saved. You mentioned calling out Jewish power. You, you pushed me in the corner. <laughs> not only, not only Stephen, but you can also go to Acts 14 too. the unbelieving Jews poison the mind of the Gentiles yeah, yeah. against the brethren. First uh, Thessalonians two fifteen. Paul speaking Honestly, to Jews. I think that's the, I think that's the ticket. Even if you're, even if you're the revelation two, nine and three, nine crowd, you're, you know, that's, that's it, man. I mean, I think that's it because shoot, you're laying it right there at their feet. You want to you want to identify as these guys? Fine, this is your burden too. There you go. It is first first Thessalonians two fifteen. Paul speaking of the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus. There you go. There's the Stephen uh, call out and yeah. their own prophets. Yeah, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, <laughs> and are contrary to all men. That's King James. Some translations say enemies to all men. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see this displayed in those calling themselves Jews. Um, but are the synagogue of Satan, you know, bombing hospitals and killing children. So, you know, it, there's a biblical, there's a more biblical way to do it that I probably haven't followed, but that's really an aside. Mike says we got yeah, two minutes to wrap definitely. up. I think the best way to wrap up is, is the Romans eight twenty eight through 30 mm-hmm. uh, reference. When you want to talk about, uh, you know, perseverance, uh, talking about you know whom whom he uh, you know all things work together for good to those who love the Lord to those who are the called according to His purpose and it says that I'm paraphrasing those He called He also sanctified and then He will glorify and those are the three points of that fancy word that the dude was using when he was quoting Ian Murray um, you know uh, the, the the points the 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 transition of salvation justification sanctification and glorification and so instead of using a word like perseverance let's just use a biblical term sanctification yeah let me let me let you get the last word in our remaining minutes oh i think i think you summed it up perfectly like you said let's use the biblical language that's it man like i said i mean that totally you summarized what i was trying to say intellectualizing things that you know I mean, so basically, that's like, you know, taking the, you know, university version and converting it to, I don't know, whatever. Well, Child's the final, kind of the stuff. And you summed it up perfectly, I think. Just a final criticism on Calvinists, even the Reformed Baptists today, they seem to really lionize the Founding Fathers. Uh, and they do so because they see the pilgrims and Puritans as, you know, uh, th- this holy bunch of people that broke away from the Church of England. But there's a lot of problems there. And so I, I do see yeah. uh, Calvinism in its current state in, in Baptists, in Reformed Baptists, sort of lionizing the Founding Fathers and the Founding Well, It's a miracle. Recently, recently I talked about the founding stuff, and I'm going to 
tackle that more on Road Warrior Radio. But for those who don't know, go investigate what the laws of uh, nature and nature's God means. Go investigate natural philosophy and things like that. For example, in the Masonic Connections. One nation under God. What God? Yeah, which God? Do we ask which God? <laughs> Chris, the hour, it's a shame it's only an hour. Um, and while we're um, at it, what about the Pledge of Allegiance and the Bellamy Salute? Totally, totally American Empire slash Roman Empire. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Where's Wagner when we need him? Love Wagner. I, I also like Mendelssohn. Yeah. At the end of the show. Thanks, Chris. Thank we you. We can do it time. You know, we'll do it. Have a yeah. good night. You got it. I see. Visit republicbroadcasting.org today because you can handle the truth.